0: I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. Hello, and welcome to a very special Cheeky Scientist radio show. I am Isaiah Hinkle, your host. And in this week's show, we're talking about the second wave. Of the pandemic. Uh, More specifically, the second wave pandemic job market for PhDs. So there's a lot of talk of a quote unquote second wave. Now, everything that I'm going to discuss has nothing to do with the the science, the virology, uh, the infectious disease aspect of this quote unquote second wave. It just has to do with uh, the second wave of the lockdowns. Or if those should occur, depending on what country or state you're in, uh, the second wave of people's attention uh, really coming back to uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic overall. Uh, the second wave of our reaction uh, to the pandemic. Okay, and that's that's important for you to understand. We're just talking about the job market here and how it's going to affect the job market. So. Really, the second wave of a change to the job market in response to the pandemic as we know it, to this particular uh, virus. Uh, So, pay attention because this show is going to discuss 17 career tracks that you will want to focus on. And it's going to talk about the importance of getting very focused on your job search over the next six weeks. You have about six weeks, and again, this depends on which country you're in. Uh, Depends on even which province, state, city that you're in. But generally speaking, we've spent weeks and weeks looking at the data to keep you informed, to keep you on the leading edge of the job market's response to everything that's going on. We were out in front when the initial pandemic hit, telling all of you these are the changes to expect. A recession based job market is very different than a regular job market. When there is a a trigger, a global trigger, such as the one that I went through when I was first looking for a job uh, coming out of graduate school in about 2010 is when I started looking for that job. This was right after the 2008 financial crisis. That was the trigger then. In 2020, it is, of course, the, the coronavirus. Now, that trigger led to financial markets crashing. And then right after that, the job markets crashed. We went through data on previous radio shows. We, we talked about it ad nauseum about how the job market numbers in terms of pure job losses uh, were substantial week after week after week. Even last week, for the countries that report uh, the weekly numbers in terms of uh, job losses, uh, there still were millions of, of jobs lost, still millions of unemployment claims filed. This is very, very important for you to understand. While things might feel better. They might seem a bit better because it might be a bit warmer outside or people are starting to go outside. Maybe some of the restrictions uh, were rolled back. You have to know this is going to be temporary in one form or another. Uh, Sure, it might differ country to country. It might differ uh, state to state or city to city, but it's going to affect the job market. So what did we see? Here's the good news. You have data to look at you can see how the job market was affected earlier this year and you can plan accordingly. And that's what this radio show is gonna help you do. I'm gonna give you 17 career tracks to focus on and to get into ideally in the next six weeks. Why six weeks? Many countries had a large financial stimulus program, a large financial stimulus response uh, to the pandemic because of the lockdowns, the way the economy was affected. Depending on the country, again, there was increased payouts uh, per month per person, uh, increased unemployment benefits, uh, increases in uh, loans to uh, different types of businesses, uh, different uh, tax credits. Uh, People didn't have to pay taxes in many uh, countries and states at the same time. They were given some relief. Now, whether there should have been more or less uh, either way, a lot of this relief is ending. It's going to end for where, where we've researched for many different countries, many different states, cities, provinces in about six weeks. Now, some, some are outliers. They're going to have increased stimulus for longer, but a lot of the unemployment uh, benefits, the extra unemployment benefits, a lot of the stimulus, uh, certainly in the US, uh, certainly in parts of, of the UK, Europe. Uh, different countries, it is ending uh, and sl- at least being rolled back in part. What does that mean for you? So now you're going to have two things happening. You're going to have more and more attention on this uh, second wave or this uh, coming back to the the changes in the job market. This second wave of of the PhD job market responding uh, to the coronavirus, and you're also going to have this intensified by uh, decreased stimulus, decreased. Uh, support from governments, so what does that mean for you? What's the result of this? More individuals are going to go back into the workforce or they're going to try to get back into the workforce. Uh, people that were uh, take you know uh, had filed for unemployment were getting increased unemployment and that allowed them uh, to not have to worry about getting a job. When that goes away, no matter how you look at it, they're going to be more motivated to find work right So there is lots of PhDs that were already in the job market before you who will be returning back to work or looking for work. That's more competition for you. okay so you're gonna have more competition, more pressure, um, even more job candidates in the job market that's already recession based no matter how you define a recession by the total number of job losses, total unemployment or by reduced GDP either way, Most of the world is in, if not all, is in a recession right now. So on top of the increased numbers of people piling into this job market, you're also going to have employers stop hiring. They're going to freeze again, just like they did previously, just like they did, uh, just like when things came to a screeching halt, again, depending on which country you're in, around February, March. That is what's going to happen again, without a doubt, at some level. So what does this mean for you? It means you need to take your job search very seriously over these next six weeks. So here's what we saw happen uh, previously. With uh, the first quote-unquote wave or the first response of the job market to the coronavirus, to the pandemic, what we saw is that a lot of employers, if they hired somebody, they kept them hired. They switched their onboarding to virtual onboarding. They did all of their training. They had already invested so much in that particular job candidate that if they had signed the contract, and plus they signed a contract, (laughs) they kept them on board in most cases. Not all cases, but most cases. On the flip side, in most cases, if there was not an agreement signed, no matter how far you were in the job search process, it stopped immediately. It was shut down. I talked to hundreds of PhDs, hundreds that were the, at the end stages of their job search for very promising jobs and careers, talking to a recruiter that was hired by a company and was about to have a second uh, video call. I talked to people who had gone on a site visit. Worse, I talked to people who had an email thread. They had gone on the site visit. They were chosen by email verbally, but they did not get the agreement in time. And if you recall, things happened very quickly. It happened so fast, it was very surreal. Suddenly, everybody was home watching Tiger King or whatever else on Netflix. Suddenly, everybody was home and didn't have a job to go to. Universities were shut down. It happened very, very quickly. So quickly, in fact, that people, in some cases, were rushing to grocery stores. They thought the world was going to run out of food. How quickly we forget. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the job market. Our focus here is the job market. What does it mean for you and your career? You have to be prepared. You have to be looking ahead. Now, in 2008, after the financial crisis, I remember a lot of people telling me, hey, you should, should start networking now. You should start building your network and taking your job search seriously. And I was like, you're crazy. I don't need a job for a couple of years. I'll be lucky to get out of here in 2010 or 2011. And they said, the recession, right? Recessions uh, hit later, right? The, the numbers come first. The financial markets crash first. The job, the, the raw data in terms of total jobs lost or gained are horrible initially, but the effects to the overall economy can take years. We had somebody on a webinar recently uh, that chimed in in the chat box and said, Yes, I didn't feel the effects of the 2008 financial crisis, the recession, uh, until about 2012. Uh, and that's true. If you look at the data, about two, three, four years later, that's when, you, that's when the peak of unemployment uh, was present. Some of you experience that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Either way, what you can expect to happen is that unemployment will last. The effects to the job market are, are going to last at least for a couple of years here's the good news. Right now, there is a rebound. This rebound this, uh, this rebound, based on hope and based on the reopening of economies uh, in different countries around the world, again, there's it, it a lot of variability, a big spectrum. Uh, it can be seen in many of the, the financial markets around the world. It can be seen in the way that people uh, feel, whether they're getting out and about more, uh, they're going back to work. A lot of companies have opened up again uh, with restrictions, but They're not completely closed. This rebound is is short-lived. In fact, in fact, Apple stores in some countries uh, just announced that they're closing them again because of this quote unquote second wave. So there's there's your data point. So when I say six weeks, I really mean six weeks at the most. You have a six-week window right now uh, to take your job search seriously, to get hired, to get that agreement signed. Before there is a a massive response now, doubtful that the response will be as massive as it was the first time because people have been through it before. However, your response should be faster and should be more certain. Certain in terms of what's going to happen because you've seen it before. You've heard the old adage: "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me." What that means is, if something happens out of the un uh, out of the ordinary in our project management consortium program. Uh, It's called in the realm of risk management, it's called known unknowns and unknown unknowns. This is what it's called in project management, specifically risk management. Uh, The first wave, in terms of how the job markets responded to the coronavirus, that was an unknown unknown. We had never experienced that before. Now, the second wave will be a known unknown. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. We, we know that that kind of situation can happen again. So my advice to you is to take your job search extremely seriously over this next six weeks. Do everything that you can. Invest everything you can, your time, your resources into your job search. It will make a large difference on how this year ends up for you. If you don't get hired in this next six weeks into that career that you want to, whether it's your first or next industry job, you're going to be looking at 2021, very likely you're in the middle of the rebound right now. Employers are hiring at a surprisingly fast rate. It's not as good as it was in 2019. It's not as good as it was in January, but it's close, surprisingly close to that level. Take advantage now before it goes away. The first two careers that I want to talk about are in the very first career track that we define a Cheeky Scientist. So If you get into our flagship program, uh, the largest platform Uh, for PhDs uh, available in terms of getting a job and for PhDs only. Uh, We have a methodology. We have a framework that divides the career paths available into five key career paths, five key career tracks. There are 43, we've increased it to about 43 extremely popular jobs for PhDs. 43, what we would say are the top available jobs for PhDs, taking into account that job titles can vary quite a bit. Right. My first job was an application scientist. Sometimes it's called a field application scientist, or a regional application scientist, or a field application specialist, field technical specialist, lots of different names. We take took that into account. There's 43 overall. However, we're seeing 17 career paths that are essentially that, that, that were essentially and are essentially indestructible in the face of the pandemic. These are the careers that I want you to focus on. Two of them are in the first career track, there's actually a few of them in this first career track. This is the information aggregation and patent career track. All right, this is a career track that's that's really focused on learning about, writing about, editing, analyzing, um, patenting the latest innovations and information related to those innovations. And this is a broad career track. It can be broken down into three different sub-career tracks, intellectual property, so IP, writing and editing, and information and data management. So yes, under this overall umbrella, we're talking about uh, writing intensive and data intensive positions, such as patent examiner and patent agent, agent, which I'm going to focus on first, but also medical writing and data scientist are under this umbrella. So patent examiner, patent agent, a lot of PhDs are confused about how these two career paths could be so secure uh, during a pandemic or during a recession. When times are tough during recessions, there's an explosion of growth. Disruption is most likely to occur in chaos. Perhaps you are a Game of Thrones watcher or viewer. There's a famous quote, chaos is a ladder. Uh, This is exceptionally true. uh, And it's taken from many different quotes throughout the ages uh, that basically describe disorder uh, creates opportunity. Now, what does that mean for patent examiner, patent agent? A lot of people are filing patents right now. Uh, Think about Something very very specific to the pandemic uh, clinical trials. There's over three hundred, way more than that now. I think there was within a few, within a month or two uh, of the first wave of the pandemic, there was uh, several hundred new clinical trials uh, for uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, beyond that, biotech companies. There was a lot of new startups based on ventilators and respirators, et cetera. A lot of people. Are are relying on patent examiners and patent agents, and they're plus they're at home, right? So they have time to spec out a patent. They have time uh, to go through all of that data that they've collected that they never got around to digging through. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever worked in a lab sometimes you realize, wait a sec, I got to spend time actually analyzing all of this data, not just moving on to the next experiment. What's the, what are the hidden uh, gems within the data that could lead to a discovery? In this case, it could be translated into a, a product or a drug or a treatment uh, that I could patent. For this re- reason, patent examiners and patent agents are, are two career tracks that are increasingly hiring PhDs and are very secure uh, during a pandemic, great careers to get into before the second wave job market response. So a patent examiner examines patent applications and assesses them based on the specifications of a particular invention or functionality, safety, originality. I mean, those are the factors that these inventions are um, uh, looked at for in terms of they're examined uh, based on those uh, three things in particular, functionality, safety, or originality, among many other things. Uh, They conduct detailed research into existing patents. That's the key, using a variety of sources, right? Hence the name patent examiner. Uh, Typical workflow would look like receiving a patent application, checking it over to make sure that it's actually feasible, cross-referencing it against other database entries to ensure it's original, and then communicating with the inventor to oversee the remainder of the process. Uh, Whereas a patent agent usually takes some, depending on, again, the the country, uh, they take some type of, uh, they, they get some type of in, uh, additional certification, uh, not a degree or a diploma, but some certification. They're, they're a person who's passed that kind of regulatory uh, requirement that allows them to file the patents, not just review them. They're le- legally able to work on, file, uh, initiate applications for, for clients who are interested in getting that patent. So they can work, these patent agents can work with other companies and law offices um, or practice as individuals, uh, consultants. They help with every step of the process, uh, filing out the the filing the the required paperwork, uh, contacting the patent office whenever necessary, which is where the patent examiner would work. On the other hand, submitting the application and dealing with any issues, of course, in the uh, examination process too. Okay, number two, this is under that writing and editing sub career track. This is the medical writer umbrella. This is something we've been talking about a lot. We've done a lot of Uh, public webinars and what this career path is because there's a lot of misconceptions. First of all, surprisingly, uh, almost half of the people hired into medical writing roles where the role requires English writing, English isn't their first language. (laughs) So English does not have to be your first spoken or written language to get into these roles. Medical writer is now this umbrella term for any type of technical or non-technical writing done at the PhD level. And medical, it's Just a buzzword. It's not clinical writing and it can be clinical writing, but you don't have to have a clinical background. Uh, Medical writers use scientific knowledge, right, or technical knowledge, whether it's it could be engineering, it could be in the social sciences, humanities, high level knowledge, niche specific knowledge, like all of you have as PhDs, and their writing skills to effectively and clearly communicate uh, that type of information, that technical information, sometimes non technical. There's two kinds of focuses, really. There's the technical, Quote-unquote medical writing, which includes uh, studies, drug trials, regulatory documents. Uh, It can literally be writing what goes on a Tylenol bottle. That's on label. And then there's also more marketing style of writing. This would be off-label. This could be writing white papers for a company, specifications. It could be writing... um, online blog articles. It could even be doing the social media as a, under a more marketing communications umbrella, which can be under medical writing. This, of course, is uh, probably the most, I would say, indestructible career path for any pandemic because, of course, it can be done remotely and any PhD can do it because you all have experience in two key transferable skills, collecting, right, researching information and And then analyzing that information and drawing conclusions and writing about it. This is crucial. You can all do this and get paid very well for it. And I don't know if you've noticed, uh, we're in kind of uh, an information war. People are trying to figure out what's real and what's not, what's credible. Uh, We're seeing on the world stage what happens when people don't know how to read data. They don't know what information is correct and what's not. So employers are looking for credible writers. That PhD behind your name gives you that credibility and then your transferable skills, your ability to find the right information, analyze it correctly. You know things like sample sizes, you know the sources, like the, the value, peer review, all of that stuff that the majority of the population doesn't know. Very valuable career track. The fourth one is under the sub-career track here. We're still under the main umbrella just to give you reference points of information aggregation and patents. This is this is diving deep into the third one, information and data management. Okay. So you can be a data analyst. You can be a data manager. The pr- the key career track here though, that I want you to focus on is data scientist. As a PhD, you can become a data scientist. There are two types of data scientist careers. We have a program and I don't know if I I forget if I said the name for the medical writing program that we have. It's one of our advanced programs called the medical writing organization. You can look that up on our website at cheekyscientist.com. We also have a new program. A new advanced program just came out this year called the data scientist syndicate for this reason. This is a career track that all PhDs can get into. If you know how to do two things and you all do collect information and or data and then analyze information and or data, you can get into a data scientist role. There's two types of data scientists, those that rely heavily on programming languages and those that do not. And they're split 50-50. They really are. You're probably used to hearing about all the data scientists needing to know Python and SQL, MATLAB, all this stuff. First of all, that's half of the career tracks. Second of all, you can teach yourself any of that. If you know statistics, if you understand how algorithms work in theory, you can learn. I mean, think of how many different software programs you've likely had to learn just to get your PhD. Even learning how to use a referencing software is an example, okay? MATLAB, other statistical, um, you know, PRISM, uh, lots of different software programs for basic statistics. It's no different, right? You just would elevate it a bit and learn some Python, learn R, which you might already know as an academic or SQL. Uh, The term data scientist, fun fact, was officially used the first time in 2008. Like I said, what was 2008? The financial crisis, opportunity, uh, inventions, innovations, even uh, the uh, invention of a new career track occurs during disruption. So data scientists came out right at uh, during the financial crisis because people realized, oh, wow, it would have been nice to get ahead of this. It would have been nice to get ahead of the, the housing bubble uh, and the many other bubbles that caused the financial crisis of 2008. So again, there's two types, those with strong computational and technical knowledge. And then the other type is the analysts who just examine big data to make informed decisions. And even people that deal more in information and not data can get into these roles. Um, it is a very, very secure uh, career track uh, during recessions. And it's it's one that you should definitely look into. Now, moving to number five. This career track is under the second, uh, this is the second career track. It's sales and marketing, but don't let that throw you off because the the career tracks that I'm going to discuss here will surprise you. Now, during a recession, companies take funds from the hiring department. They will reduce the number of human resource professionals. Usually they'll su- sever contracts with external recruiting firms. That's why you're finding it harder to get hired now. Um, you're finding a lot of those conversations uh, stopping. They stopped almost immediately for many people back in february march with the first wave in terms of the job market's response um, and those funds they get shifted to sales and marketing cuz now the economy's down people aren't spending as much so companies have to advertise and sell more so they need more technical sales specialists they need more technical support specialists so sales and support those jobs are available for you i'm not going to discuss them they're always always peaking uh, during a recession the two that I want to focus on here under this career track, though, with you, um, that I think will be a bit more popular for those of you listening, first is the career track that I got into. My first job uh, title was Application Scientist. And that's, one of the, that's the main reason I'm going through specific job titles with you, because once I had a job title in mind, once I had a target, I was able to get hired into it. I knew what to do. I followed what is now the Cheeky Scientist Association blueprint and got hired as an application scientist, within about two to three weeks after finding out that job title. Doesn't matter how intelligent or driven you are, you can't hit a target you don't set. I'll keep saying this because it's true. You need a target. So application scientists, they're responsible for the the design, the really the uptake of the scientific equipment, reagent software, the tools required for the For a company or an individual to apply, hence the name application scientist, to apply another company's software or reagents or instruments to their work. Uh, They present and offer support services to customers regarding product usage, troubleshooting issues that arise during usage. They collaborate with the R&D teams uh, on sometimes both companies, the the buyers and the the vendors, the creators of the product, um, as well as sales and marketing teams. Right, so they want to help implement customer feedback. It's a great role if you like R and D, but you want to really the. It's like being in medical science liaison, which I'll touch on later. That's that's in the pharmaceutical industry. The application scientist is the medical science liaison of the biotech industry. You spend a lot of time traveling. So you get insights from the clinicians, the doctors, the other high level clients who are using a company's products, and you bring it back to that company. It's a great role if you want to get exposure to a lot of different fields in business. Number two under this second career track, product manager. This is important because it's a, it's a marketing-based role that a lot of PhDs can do. I worked in this role as well. Um, it does very well during a recession. This person develops and implements the most profitable plans to position and promote a company's product. So if you work at a biotech or a pharma company or an engineering company or any company, really, and they are producing something at a high level they want to back it with some credible data. So you as a PhD, you speak nerd. And if you're a PhD, you can also speak normal person, right? If you've ever looked around you and said like, wow, a lot of these people are kind of socially awkward, but I can talk to other people normally, right? If you've ever had that experience, you can do both. And it makes you very, very valuable. Okay. And no matter who you are, You have to learn how to speak that other language. Now, when I say normal person, I mean being able to speak the language of industry, being able to pick up on uh, different types of nomenclature, not just hanging on to kind of the niche-specific words in academia and your specific domain. Broaden your horizons, broaden your skill sets, broaden your communication skills. A product manager translates technical details into customer benefits. Uh, to really craft messages that are compelling to use marketing channels, so they'll work closely with people that are medical writers and marketing communication uh, to get that out there, but the they're coordinating the data. It's like a project manager of a particular product that's fo- but just focused on one product, right? So a product manager will be on the marketing side and would take a a product all the way from conception all the way to market and support it post market. They follow and analyze market trends to position the products. They work with R&D, sales and marketing, marketing communications, lots of other teams. So that's a a great career track to consider because, like I said, a lot of companies are funneling more money into sales and marketing. And just because you might feel more comfortable in R&D because you've done nothing but research uh, in your academic career, they want PhDs in these roles because you can speak to a lot of these biotech pharma companies engineering companies a lot of stem companies right they're they're selling to other doctors so they want a doctor who could speak the doctors language the researchers language all right so the third career track is r and d research and development a lot of you will, will feel more comfortable here now there's a variety of career tra- uh, uh, job titles within this career track you know r and d scientist r and d engineer some new ones technology development um, associate, uh, health economics and outcomes research. Uh, the ones that I want you to focus on are quality assurance and quality control manager. Supply chain issues were one of the things that rose to the top after the job market. The first uh, wave job market response. Right, a lot of companies realized. Wait a second. How? Why can't we deliver our products to people? You saw this yourself. How many of you had to? Wait longer for your Amazon Prime packages? How many of you had to wait longer for things to be delivered? How many of you saw that at a grocery store or things that you were normally able to buy very easily in person or offline? All of a sudden we're out of stock. There was delays. That's a supply chain issue. It's on companies' radar now. They want to prevent it from ever happening again because it prevents them from getting revenue, prevents them from selling their products, whatever it is, because they can't deliver it. And people If they don't get what they want on time, they never buy from a company again. QA is looking at that entire supply chain, analyzing data across the QC is more about the individual checkpoints. It's all about managing data. A very popular career track right now is user experience researcher. User experience researcher. So these they're essentially market analysts. This is like the new buzzword. This is the new Uh, career track that I think is going to explode the same way that data scientists did in 2008. This is the one that's going to explode in 2020. We've seen a lot of our cheeky scientist associates get hired into this role. Uh, Not just life scientists, not just engineers, physical scientists, not just people in economics, teaching and learning, but also people in the social sciences, humanities are getting hired into these roles. Home Depot hired one of our PhDs into this role. Hilton hired one of our PhDs into this role. Why? Because this role requires you to collect and analyze data to determine uh, why consumers make decisions, their consumer behavior, their wants, their needs, their priorities, how, which way they turn left or right when they walk into a grocery store. Who figures that out? A user experience researcher. Most of them turn right, by the way. And most grocery stores, which you'll now notice, put the produce in front of you so it's the first thing that you see. Why do they do that? Because it has the highest margins. It makes them the most money. It's also the most perishable, so they need to keep the turnover the highest. People are most likely to buy at the beginning of their shopping trip. If you find this stuff fascinating, you would be a good user experience researcher. Starbucks, their parking lots, the ones that they actually own, their parking spots are wider than the average parking spot. Why? Because people are just a little bit happier, yet they have an easy time parking in a spot and are more likely to buy more stuff, even if it's 30 cents more per transaction, because of a larger par- parking space, they make more revenue. That is the fascinating data that you'll look at, and both qualitative data based on focus groups, in-person interviews, as well as quantitative data. This is protected because this can all be done virtually now. You can have virtual focus groups. There's tons of quantitative data from every company, because every company almost that's big enough has an app. So there's also, that's where the, the user part of that job title comes from. Because these companies, instead of just being a market analyst, sounds boring, right? Sounds like something that your uh, a job your grandfather would have. User experience researcher, because software ate everything, is much more exciting. Project manager, product manager, remembers in marketing. Project manager is usually in R and D. Very popular job, so popular that we created a new advanced program this year as well, called the Project Management Consortium, that gives you uh, training hours. Uh, towards your project, uh, project Management Institute PMP certification, as well as uh, certifies you as a project manager in industry at the PhD level. You get a certificate at the end of it. It's a great program with a, with a great board of senior program leaders from Lilly Pharmaceuticals to other big name companies. Uh, project managers, they, they implement projects. With everybody working remotely, organization becomes increasingly important. If you've had to work remotely, you probably noticed that there's a few problems, right? It can be harder to get yourself motivated. And if it's not hard to get yourself motivated, you've certainly seen it's harder to get a lot of people motivated. For example, a lot of schools switch to, like a lot of uh, you know, kindergarten all the way up to high school, uh, they switch to an online class model. The problem is, is that about half of the students would show up. And less than 30% would actually submit homework or anything assigned. What did they all need? They needed more project managers. The project managers are the people who coordinate. They follow up. They set the schedules. They manage the budgets, the timelines, the milestones, all the deliverables. They they, they do change management. They do risk management. They do resource management. Highly valuable, highly valuable career track. Um, R&D positions are valuable right now. I want you to focus on R&D analyst roles. That word analyst has come back up to the top, whether it's user experience analyst over researcher, R&D analyst over scientist or researcher. There's going to be a lot of data, right? We saw this response during the, the, the job market's first response. Now, their second response is going to be very similar. They're going to say, okay, we can't do research. Maybe we've shut down our labs again. We've shut down our our." On-site facilities, but we have all this data coming in. We need more people to analyze this data. So look at R and D analyst positions as well. Don't just focus on researcher. You have to look at analyzing all of the data that's out there. There's tons and tons of data, whether you call it big data or just data. There's a lot of it. Now, the fourth career track is clinical and medical affairs. There are one, two, three, four, five, six different job titles. That are going to be protected and highly valuable, and that, that people are hiring for right now under this uh, in within this career track. Epidemiologists, medical affairs associates, medical science liaisons, clinical research associates, clinical data managers, and regulatory affairs associates, they're hiring PhDs into these roles at a exceptional clip. Epidemiologists, right? <laughs> makes sense. They need people to understand the virus, how it spreads. The, the, our ability to track the, the virus and how it spreads or to be able to track infectious diseases in general is so advanced now compared to what it was before. I think of uh, the swine flu when I was in graduate school. And you saw some things in the paper, but they didn't have like uh, day-to-day, hour-by-hour, second-by-second tracking and updates on a live map that everybody around the world could see, uh, thanks to John Hopkins and other sites. This this position is highly valuable. Now, if you don't have a specific background in epidemiology, you can still get into it. Uh, But maybe you might think, okay, well, maybe I want to work with the epidemiologists, but I don't want to be one. So I can get into the uh, side of uh, a company, uh, like a pharmaceutical company, who is managing the regulations, right? The people that are going to make sure that a pharmaceutical company is following all of the government regulations, uh, all of the technical specs are correct, they're up to date, they're legal if you like technical writing, if you like making sure that people are following the rules, and there's many of you out there, Regulatory Affairs Associate. That is a great role to get into. Our our newest program that's coming out is called the Regulatory Affairs Council. It'll be out in July. Either way, look up Regulatory Affairs Associate. Lots of PhDs hired into this. This department, the Regulatory Affairs Department, works closely with the Medical Affairs Department. The medical affairs department is more focused on supporting the drug and the clinicians who are using a drug when it comes to a ph- pharmaceutical company. So you can be a medical affairs associate on site where you're helping coordinate a lot of the information coming in from the clinicians. You might be working with different uh, data managers. You'll be working closely with regulatory affairs associates. Uh, there are positions within the medical affairs department that are off-site. You've likely heard of this role because uh, it is so popular right now, and it's hi- it hires more PhDs than it does MDs or PharmDs now, and for good reason. Because PhDs know how to look at data and evaluate it uh, better than anybody else. Those two skills, research and analysis, separate you from every other uh, every other job candidate and every other degree type. So, the medical science liaison role is exceptionally popular. One of our fastest growing programs at Cheeky Scientist, it's an advanced program, is the Medical Science Liaison Alliance. Now, I'm mentioning the names of some of these programs because we had a lot of people write in and say, I didn't even know you had a portfolio of programs. I didn't know you had advanced programs. Like I knew about the association, which is the program that you get into when you don't know which career is right for you. But We also have all these advanced programs. The Medical Science Liaison Alliance, it's the only program that's, just for PhDs. It's specifically focused on PhDs and getting PhDs hired. Um, there's a lot of other programs out there that'll charge you every month, every year. They're mostly for PharmDs, uh, certainly half D's and and a lot of other uh, types of degrees. Not They're not very helpful at all. Uh, the Medical Science Liaison um, Alliance has gotten an incredible number of PhDs hired into top pharmaceutical companies all around the world. It's a great program with great program leaders. They've just done an amazing job. It is an amazing career track to get into. If you it's like like I said it's the application scientist role but for the pharmaceutical industry. You deal directly with the clinicians. You you're allowed to have uh, what is called off-label conversations. You're allowed to talk about data. You you are separate from the sales team, right? This is how this is the new structure that companies have to operate within. Instead of a pharmaceutical sales rep uh, buying a golfing package or taking a clinician out to dinner and that clinician uh, knowingly or unknowingly buying more of that company's drug and recommending it more, uh, there's different laws that have been enacted by different names around the world in many different countries to keep the salespeople separate from that and not to allow that. And instead, to have this separate role, this non sales role that's completely separate from cells, where it's more like being a, a teacher, a professor, getting to talk to the clinicians and getting feedback on how the drug is working, uh, talking about the science, about uh, current drugs or upcoming drugs, it's a great role to get into. It is airtight, safe during a recession, and it will be during the second wave. We, we didn't see a dip in hiring at all for the medical science liaison field or for medical affairs Because, of course, all of this activity of trying to find new drugs for COVID-19 and other infectious diseases came to the forefront of industry. Now, in, in clinical trials, newsflash, we talk about this a lot, right? Get rid of that limiting belief that you need clinical experience. You don't. You can become a clinical trials project manager, clinical research associate, or a clinical data manager without any clinical experience whatsoever. So a clinical trial project manager is a just like the project manager role that I described previously, but for clinical trials. Clinical research associate is a R&D scientist, but for clinical data. <laughs> and then a clinical data manager just manages the data. And I really love how they separate that role, right? They have somebody managing the project, the clinical trials as, as a project manager. They have somebody doing the research, obviously a team, many people uh, would have that job title. And they have uh, data managers just managing the data coming out. And they're working together with uh, people that are in the regulatory affairs department and the medical affairs department to make sure they're getting feedback from clinicians and they're following all of the regulations. Now, the last career track that I want to talk about is business and policy. So think of these classical career tracks, quantitative analyst, equity research analyst, uh, VC research analyst, competitive intelligence analyst, business analyst, business development manager, management consulting. A few of these are very protected uh, in any recession and were very, very safe choices. In fact, we saw hiring up for management consultants, uh, which makes sense because a large company like Pfizer, for example, or a large company like I brought up Hilton or Home Depot, uh, the pandemic hit. It was an unknown, unknown. People were unprepared. Entire huge billion-dollar companies were unprepared for it. They had to keep their operations going. They had to stay focused on revenue. They couldn't fix the problem. They didn't have resources to fix the problem. All their resources were going towards keeping the company alive, making revenue the way they knew how to make revenue. So they had to hire third parties, McKenzie and Company, Bain, uh, Boston Consulting Group, uh, as well as the Tier 2 and other boutique firms. They had to hire these people to solve the problem to make sure that if this happened again, they would be okay. It's probably the reason, like I talked about, that Apple just shut some of their stores again because they probably brought on some management consulting firms that gave them a plan for when this happened again. Because the second time it happens, it's not an unknown unknown anymore. It's a known unknown. Three career uh, job titles here in this last career track that I want you to focus on that will be safe in the second wave. And that I want you to get into Uh, One of these, or any of the the ones we've talked about before, the last three are quantitative analysts, or for short, quant. Okay, you do not need to be a finance PhD to get into this. This is somebody who knows how to crunch numbers. It can be a quantitative analyst. I told you again, that word analyst. If it ends in researcher or analyst, you can get into it, and you're going to see a lot more analyst um, in the coming months. Quantitative analyst, data analyst, there's a lot of variations of this. Right? So if you're like, I've never heard a quantitative analyst, it might be called that in the finance industry. Uh, other industries It might be called a data analyst. You're crunching numbers. If you love going through a lot of data and crunching the numbers and you don't want to deal with a stakeholder or talk to a, an investor or have to present, this is the career path for you. Data analysts will work closely with the data scientists. The data scientists have to interact with the stakeholders. Quantitative analysts, data analysts will also work closely with management consultants who will deal with the stakeholders as well, have to understand the numbers, but they will also deal with the stakeholders. So if you just want to crunch the numbers, quantitative analyst, data analyst, that's the role to get into. Any type of analyst. So business analyst, competitive intelligence analyst. It's somebody who knows how to look at a lot of data and crunch it and get statistics, readouts that other people could understand, and then take and present to those key stakeholders. If you like dealing with stakeholders, management consulting is an option. This is a a role that more and more PhDs are hired into because of, of this one skill you have, synthesis. You're able to synthesize a lot of information. And synthesis means not just understanding it, but drawing conclusions from it. You can provide strategic and advisory services to organizations with the goal of improving productivity and performance. So you're taking the data, just similar to a data scientist, actually, you're taking the data from the quant or the data analyst, et cetera, and then you're drawing conclusions from it and making recommendations to a business on what they should do next. For example, what they should do if there's a a second wave response in the job market or a second wave response in the overall economy. Services cover from, uh, I mean, the, the areas that a management consultant works in, uh, there's a range. Change management, financial performance, marketing, business restructuring, human resources, um, managing risks, costs. They often work with uh, teams. Usually six people or less on pro, you know, things that can be very, very intensive. Uh, you'll work nonstop Monday through Friday, maybe have weekends off, and then Monday you're flying out somewhere else. You're there all week. You fly back late Friday early Saturday. It's a very intensive role. Uh, you'll work with an external partner, usually somebody at the company, right? So somebody that's at Home Depot or Hilton, just to use the examples that I used previously. You'll work with a team manager, like a project manager uh, or, a, or a, and or a senior manager consultant to guide the project. And then one or two uh, analysts, possibly one or two other management consultants. Finally, similar role, if you like the idea of dealing with stakeholders, right? Dealing with Not just the data, but you want to deal with people. We've talked about a lot of these roles, whether it's an application scientist or a medical science liaison or a a data scientist, management consultant, now a business development manager. They get paid more in these roles, and they're also protected because these people can not only read and understand data, they they not not only know how to do research and analysis, they're not just a a nerd, so to speak, but they can speak normal person. They can speak to investors, stakeholders, non-technical people. They can translate technical data into business data, data actions that are are going to increase productivity, performance, profits, profit margins, going to reduce cogs, going to reduce expenses, increase revenues, and so forth. Uh, business development manager works with sales and marketing, product development teams as well, Uh, often company executives to identify really high-end sales leads. Right? They're trying to build B2B relationships, which, which means business to business. For example, Hilton Hotels, they have B2C clients, so like the clients like you and I most likely who come in and would stay at a Hilton, um, their Hilton Honors members, et cetera, but they also have their B2B clients, business to business, other businesses who come in and use their conference rooms, Right, even higher level businesses where they might set up, okay, I'm going to set up a deal with Aquafina Water. Uh, so that every guest gets two Aquafina water bottles when they come in. Somebody's negotiating that deal. It's a business development manager. So this takes us to the end of today's radio show. These are the specific job titles to focus on. Think about it this way. This will help you and will give you a sense of urgency in your job search. It's also true. You have six weeks. Everybody's going to be tuned out for six weeks. Most of the job market is going to be tuned out for six weeks because they're enjoying the, the financial stimulus. Or at least they have enough to not have to. uh, They're not. They're just in moderate pain, or or maybe no pain at all in terms of their career. So they're not taking any action. They're not flooding back into the job market trying to get hired. While they take a break, you can get hired because employers, on the other hand, are rebounding now. They're hiring. The economy's opened back up in many places. And it's going to be a short window. One way or another, there is going to be a second response in the job market. Are you going to be prepared for it? Are you going to be hired into that first or next job before that happens? Or are you going to sit around and lay on the beach the whole time or do nothing? Now is your chance to get ahead. You know now. You've listened to this show. You know it's happening. Uh, So take advantage of the situation of the jobs that are opening up. Follow the blueprint. If you don't know where to start, you're listening for the first time. Go to CheekyScientist.com. You can learn all about our all about our programs. Uh, specifically, if you don't know where to start, if you're still not sure which of these career paths might be right for you, go to PhDsGetHired.com. You can learn about our flagship program that will help you find the right career path and give you the complete blueprint for getting hired as a PhD, a program created by PhDs uh, for PhDs. And it will get you hired into one of these top career tracks. So you can protect your career and protect yourself from this second response in the job market. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing? employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number 1 PhD only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD only job referral network of over 10,000 plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button and click on it Then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.